0: Good day, everyone, and welcome to the serve America with me, your host, DeAndre Pace, and my co host, Rhett Williams. Uh, we are here today on our another lovely Saturday evening on our casual Saturdays episodes. And you know, I should probably give more thought to these uh before we start recording, but that kind of ruins the point of it being casual where we just talk and stuff happens. Uh, so Rhett, you said you had some interesting things that you wanted to discuss. Yes. Um, hold on, let me switch
1: accounts. YouTube to to the one that I actually.
0: Oh, yeah, um, I always forget to give you uh, sharing permission. Let me do that.
1: Always. F
2: eleven. So I have two different Gmails and only one of them obviously I wouldn't pay for a YouTube premium on both of them.
0: So I just got my YouTube premium back because it makes it easier for me to, to walk off my phone, not dying and draining out of battery if I can listen to music with while, it's, while the screen is off. I wasn't going to do it because I was protesting, but you know phone battery forced
1: me.
3: So...
2: So have you heard of the CIA's declassified document? I think it was declassified in like 2003, but it there's two of them um, and, and one of them. Well, actually, there's three of them, I think. But anyway, this one's called, I don't remember the exact name of, I think the name of the document was the gateway process or
1: the gateway. And it's basically... It just like, I need to find this video. It goes through and basically says that they were
2: actually using techniques. Uh, It's more like a research paper, actually, the way that it's. And I know when I play this. Obviously, YouTube is going to uh, take it down. So.
0: You know, uh, what was it? YouTube or Facebook during one of our one of our streams I can't remember which one it was might have been might have been one of my Christian streams that I was doing no no it was the one when we did the thing uh and you were doing the uh Alex Jones one yeah yeah, the Alex Jones one yeah that one they they copyrighted us (laughs) I thought you said it was YouTube if I think I think it was YouTube and Facebook but they only copyrighted that part. That part of I think it was just Facebook because if it was YouTube, they would have took the video down. I think it should be fair use. It's not like we're claiming that we own it. Yeah, I mean, we're giving commentary. All these other people that do reactions or I watch the entire video. Yeah, uh, but don't... that's
2: why they usually pause like every couple seconds and say something. Because if you, if you let it go for a certain amount of time, then they'll catch it. But they won't catch it if you pause. But, you know, I don't really like doing that because I don't want to just make up
0: something to, to say just because we have to pause it. Oh, yeah, I like to give constructive criticisms, constructive uh, explanations. Mm-hmm. And allow them to finish their point, so people can understand what they're saying. So, which is another reason why I don't really care, and particularly about. I mean, I should care because it's YouTube. You know, that's where the audience is. But I don't care so much because YouTube is really their 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 uh their leadership is
3: is garbage. Are uh, you
1: dying there? The gateway process is a method of
2: achieving altered states of consciousness using different uh, brain waves because you know different different brain waves correspond to different states of consciousness you know like sleep awake those are just two examples <clears throat> And the CIA was uh, using this process to spy, like remote view or um, astral projection. They basically acknowledge that it's real and they were using it. And they were, it, it describes what consciousness really is and It's completely contrary to the materialist paradigm, which, I mean, I think at this point, we are on the verge of a new scientific paradigm when it comes to physics and consciousness and and reality itself. There's several uh, scientists now that that have come to the conclusion that consciousness is fundamental and space-time, mass energy, these are things that are emergent and space time is emerging from consciousness. <clears throat> consciousness is the computer, metaphorically speaking, that's calculating this simulation, uh, metaphorically speaking. I'm not literally saying that. Okay, so you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, I use the term simulation as a metaphor to describe what it's like. Yeah,
0: that's that's interesting because uh in one of the panels that I do, you know, the black panels and whatnot, we think we just did one we were talking about um, the idea of of a, of a of a little black girl having a panic attack from watching people pick cotton because slavery, blah blah blah. And it's uh and so like that brings you to this question uh what do you think of epigenetics and if that at all ties into any levels of consciousness? Because for me personally, I think that's a load of hogwash. Are you talking about like genetic memory? Yes, what they're saying is that well, the reason why the, the reason why this young black girl uh had a panic attack to Watching people pick cotton at a school project that she didn't participate in was because, oh, that's how slaves were treated uh, in America um, 150 years ago, which the the idea of that being passed down through uh, through epigenetics just doesn't make feasible sense to me as when we think of things that are universal consciousness or universal basic instincts, you know, things that are psychological fears of the dark, fears of the unknown, fears of spiders, fears of things with venom, or, you know, flight or flight responses, that has taken millions of years, according to the theory of evolution, in order to uh, make that be a universal basic instinct amongst all species. Whereas this will be only 150 years. I don't see how that is okay. scientifically.
2: Yes, if consciousness is fundamental, that means it's primary. That means it's the only thing that's real. And that in the idealist camp, which is idealism, philosophical idealism, is that ideas or consciousness is the first reality, the primary reality and everything else is like, so consciousness from a first person perspective, and this is just me speaking, but I would assume that other people would probably confirm this, feels like it has to be outside of the third dimension because how are we able to manipulate this? It honestly feels like I'm controlling a body. It doesn't feel like I am the body. It feels like I am something beyond that. Now I have had out of body experiences. One that stands out above any of the others because lucid dreaming is completely different um, and you can feel the difference but one time i was really uh, i was i was coming off of alcohol and clonopin at the same time and i had just really high blood pressure i wasn't i wasn't able to sleep but i just laid on the couch all day and then This is not in this house. This is in the Gary Street house, which I think you actually had been to at graduation. Yeah, the
0: graduation party.
2: So I was laying on the couch. I didn't even
1: go to my room. And my grandma went to bed and I just continued to lay there. You know, in. in, uh,
2: Hoping that I would just get some kind of sleep. Well, I didn't. At least I don't remember ever sleeping that night at all, although I
1: did sit there and close my eyes and just listen to my heart just thud. So all of a sudden, i it's like I, I got up off the couch
2: for some reason. I got up and I started to walk past the kitchen table. I was in the living room or the den where the TV was. I walked. Past the table between the table and the island I don't know where I was going but I looked at the the door the front well it wasn't the front door but the side door of the house the one that everyone used and it was floating backwards just like floating in midair and as soon as I realized it I was just like that's not right like that's there's something wrong with that door why is it as soon as I realized that I, I get up, sit up on the couch and it really shook me. It happened again after that, but it really shook me because it felt like it didn't feel like it was literally just like I was walking personally, like in my physical body. Actually, it felt, it felt so real that I, I thought I had actually gotten up and then are uh, you're talking about an out-of-body, out-of-body experience? Yes. And it happened a second time that same night. But And the second time I thought that it was, I just got up off the couch. Um, and this time I saw some, like a couple of entities. One of them was, he was standing over in the corner by the back door He looked like a he was an old man with a long beard, and he was wearing clothing that looked like it was from the 19th century. And he had spectacles, circular spectacles on like this, holding a big book with brown tattered pages, looking at it, reading it, just standing there. And as soon as I noticed him, he looked out from under his glasses at me like this. And he looked like he was really just fed up, like he was just, he was not, he did not have my best interests. He was up to no good, or he thought I was up to no good. And then Were you up? To I no saw, good? well, I mean, I wouldn't say that I was at the moment, but I was uh, reaping what I had sown as far as the drugs went, because I was, I just felt horrible. It felt like for like three, actually this long went on longer than three days, but it felt like I was constantly on the verge of a panic attack for like weeks it was very hard to make it it was very hard to function every day was like a struggle um but this was towards the beginning of that period and the second entity I saw was just a black cat and as soon as it saw me it like stood up on it its hair stood up on end and I was freaking out and both both times I saw these entities I started cussing them out like because I was really scared I, they, it really startled me and then after the cat I got up and I was just like, dude, what is going like before this? I was fully aware of astral projection, but I was never able. I used to try to, to try to do it. Like when I was like 18 or 19, I was never successful at that time, but this is the first time I experienced what I would call astral projection. And it was spontaneous. Like I didn't do it like on, I didn't do it on purpose and at that point that's when i knew holy crap this stuff is actually real and i've had lucid dreams several lucid dreams i have lucid dreams all the time they do not feel the same lucid dreams you can you know you're in a dream it has a certain feeling it's just have you ever had a lucid dream
0: yes but and you know i i, I also do quite a bit of of meditation you know a lot of people say oh you're a christian you shouldn't be doing that well i happen to believe i happen to believe that the state of nirvana is the best pathway to connect with god uh, because it allows me to to solely focus on him and i've been able to to see the vastness of the universe in many of deals in many of my meditation sessions just by focusing on a central point which was you understand
2: what i'm talking about you've been you've been in point consciousness
0: Yes. Where it's so just
2: like you are you are all like it. most people have no idea what it's like to experience awareness apart from their senses.
0: Yes, especially, you know, you know what what really uh, first set me off was was the first vision that I had, which I've had uh, I've had several visions uh, that god that God has given me or if you don't believe in god that someone has given me uh would it be extra dimensional or whatever um and the first one i don't know if it was the first one but it was definitely the one that i remember the most was so impactful because it happened and if you know uh, i don't know if you watch uh anime or anything like that but in naruto there's a a genjutsu called Tsukuyomi that Itachi uses and it lasts a fraction of a second in our time but in the person who's trapped in the genjutsu it can last a lifetime it can last a thousand years it can last for a, for an eternity but so this particular vision that happened to me it felt like I was there for a long time but it only happened during this during a brief period of time when I was at the altar at church and I closed my eyes to pray during that brief period of time I was taken on a journey across the entirety of the cosmos and saw things that I cannot unsee I, you know for the longest time I was afraid to sleep because when I closed my eyes those visions were burned and to the underside of my eyelids. And still to this day, I can still recall them. I can't recall hardly anything that I've ever dreamed, but still to this day, I can recall with perfect detail and perfect clarity, everything that I saw on that day. And when you have those types of experiences and the type of experiences, when you're able to to project yourself beyond what you know because like I said I've been able to in my meditations uh see the vastness of the universe things that I would never be able to do physically and it, these these types of things they stick to you and so yeah I, I absolutely agree with you about the idea of doing that because uh because this happened to me and it was and it never happens to me purposefully i'm never purposely trying to do this i'm just trying to connect with god and it just happens on its own so
1: this is how i would say this ties in to well
2: really you could say that it ties into almost every world religion not all of them but in a major way i think to say that we live in a simulation of sorts that is computed by consciousness. That consciousness, uh, you could say, we, which is what we are derivative of, would be the source or God, which is the consciousness that, the first consciousness, the one that started the whole thing. And we would be like virtual machines running within the larger system, the larger computer. Um I forgot where I was going with this. Well, yeah, that's how you those visions and stuff like that happen to experienced meditators a lot. But that's I'm going to figure out a way to try to tie this back into. Actually, I'm just going to play a video because they describe consciousness like a grid. And we we are so As a as a modern Western civilization, so in our left hemisphere, left brain, that most of us think it's just this stuff is not real. But what? How do we just discard all the evidence for near death experiences of the thousands upon thousands of people who've experienced consciousness when their brain is when their body is just completely off? There's no brain activity, and they're still aware. And then they can tell you. Like, there was this one story of a lady
1: near death experience. She floats up out above the roof and she sees a shoe on top of the roof. She remembers exactly
2: what kind of shoe it was and a lot of different details about it. Then she comes back and she tells everybody that she was still aware and tells them about that shoe they go up there and the shoe's really there
1: and there's plenty of stories like that 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 are
0: verified and there's and there are plenty of stories of people who have died uh, momentarily went to hell and came back over the count of what hell looks like
1: i feel like it would be different for each person
0: i'm of i'm of the same same degree because i don't feel like uh most people if they died i don't think they would go to the cordon of hell that most people think when they think of hell you know the the lake of fire stuff like that most people think that that's where you go uh no that's those are those are reserved for the most heinous and evil of people i'm inclined to believe that all the fire imagery
2: is metaphorical because you know I, th- I just think it was probably the best way to describe what you will, what it would feel like. Because uh, I think it was in The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote, I don't remember who it was that said it, but hell is locked from the inside. Like the people who are in hell want to be in hell. They have a choice, but they are unwilling to give up their self-importance let's say
1: or their preoccupation with themselves above all else
0: you know i would hate to one day wake up from death and find out that that being on earth was hell (laughs) because it would it would make this time period in which we're in which we're living in uh make a whole lot more sense if this is what we consider to be our personal hell (laughs) but but obviously that's not the case
2: i have thought about that before not that That much though because i mean no i mean like if if we're already
0: dead and like we just don't remember like i'm getting a phone call let me let me shut these guys down they're calling me on discord and i'm in the middle of something here uh
1: like really honestly life is like
2: it's so so strange and i can't stop like sometimes it's really distressing to me because i can't stop thinking about at least in the back of my mind how just bizarre everything is like existing at all it it seems so weird to me and sometimes if I think about it too hard, like I've experienced depersonalization, derealization. It's it's such an uncomfortable feeling. Because I'd rather just feel like, okay, I'm here. This is me. Like I'm Rhett. That's right. I'm this person that's aware. But I feel
0: like dissociated from my body. You know, I the way the way I find it, you know, as you said, it's different for everybody. For me, I feel like. I can only reach that state uh, when I'm in total attunement with myself. Uh, not not so much self-actualized as I do think I've reached a level of actualization, but when I've become attuned to myself and attuned to my surroundings, and again, my focus is is on one individual target, which is on God for the most part, uh, the attunement that I that I gain from that. That seems to clear up all of the fogginess of all of the mess which allows me to experience that that type of uh sensation of being separated from myself and actually being able to look at myself from the outside and perceive things which I should not be able to perceive and you know this and the strangest thing is is a lot of those a lot of these things happen and my body is still able to it's still able to sit and react and do its own thing while my consciousness is somewhere else, off doing whatever, and looking back at my looking back at my self-talk. It's almost like it's almost like this right now, where I can see myself talking in this camera, and I can see myself on the screen. But there are many situations in which I can see that exact same picture without any of this stuff being in front of me and it's just me looking at myself from from whatever I'm watching myself do things that and I'm seeing myself almost from a bird's eye view like I'm just looking down at myself watching me do things for no apparent reason
1: yeah uh, so
2: if you i how do to go with this sleep paralysis
0: have you i think we talked about this last time. i've experienced sleep paralysis so much that at the you know and i and i understand the the uh the psychological phenomenon of sleep paralysis which uh, many have you know associated with de- wolf demons or or witch writing you as with my old as what the old folks would say but i understand the the psychological implications of of it is that your body woke up before your brain could wake up and yeah. It it's causes the sleepwalking. You know, it causes you to <laughs> to start to fear because you can't move your own body because your brain hasn't woken up the uh, the motion receptors yet, and so you start to fear because you're awake and you're trapped in your own body, and unable to move, unable to do anything. And You feel caged, and you feel like you can't breathe even though your breathing is still happening. And uh, it, it, it gets terrifying because you try to move and you can't move and so you sit there and you try to force yourself to move and the more you do that the more you feel uncomfortable and then for me mm-hmm. the, way I, the way I the way I have battles with sleep paralysis is uh you, most of the time during the day uh but if I'm laying down and I'm very very tired and I still feel like I got to do work um I'll lay down and I'll get into a nice deep sleep, but my, but I'll wake up uh, suddenly uh and then I can't move. And then if I lay down again and try and, and just rest, I'll find myself falling right back into the same trance within seconds yeah. and be, and and be attacked by sleep paralysis multiple times within the span of a couple of seconds. Yeah, that happens to me a
2: lot. Of, I've been experiencing sleep paralysis since I was a kid and it happens to me a lot of nights too. Like I'll wake up in the middle of the night, and every time I try to go back to sleep, I wake up and sleep paralysis again. And I just know I'm just
0: like I have to wait this out, I guess. Yeah, you know, I, I you know, can't... you know what my grandmother used to tell me. She says when you do that, and the and she says because the witch is riding you. She says you can't say <laughs> anything, you can't speak, you can't move. She says in your mind, hum the name Jesus and everything will start to leave you alone and, they, and she'll get off of you and you'll be able to move again. in. And, you know, I've always wanted to try that whenever I've been in sleep paralysis, but I never think about that when I'm actually experiencing sleep paralysis.
2: Yeah. I only opened my eyes one time when I was in sleep paralysis. I think I told you about this last time. Yeah. I saw a dark hooded figure. There was no hag. It was just a dark hooded figure walking back and forth across the room. But anyway, if you want to go out of the body on purpose, sleep
1: paralysis is the first step. So it's not really. I don't, a, it, I don't know if I would agree with that. I think um, I think meditation
2: because okay, well, look, if you can meditate until you you go into paralysis, you can meditate until you you can't move. The reason why it's the first time. this is not like controversial. This is known. Like astral projection requires sleep paralysis first. and you can get there through sleeping or meditation. But either way, your body is still going to be paralyzed before you
0: go out of body. <clears throat> I, 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 would, I would agree with that. It's very rare for you to have to, for you to be uh, projecting yourself and still able to control your physical vessel. I've done it before, but briefly, very briefly, because once you, once you, are, once you become aware that your consciousness is gone, it's almost, like, uh, it's almost like a massive hand reaches out and grabs your consciousness, wherever it is, and pulls it right back into the body, so, so you can never actually do both at the same time uh, for a long period of time, because the body pulls back its consciousness as soon as it finds out that it's gone. Yeah, as soon as you think about your body, you're back. Um,
1: Where was I going to go with this? Oh, like, I've only had a
2: couple of times where it was like, okay, I know I'm going to sleep paralysis. It's always when I wake up in the middle of the night, it's like, I know if I go to sleep right now and I intend to get out of my body, it'll happen. And that happens every time. But staying out for that long is difficult because I just haven't been able to do it that much. But there's two different times. Like one time I was just like, all right. They call it wake back to sleep. So I wake up in the middle of the night. It's always the scariest time to do it. But that's always the best time that that I've been able to do it. It's always like three in the morning, which is like terrifying.
0: It it is terrifying when it happens at nighttime. I, you know, I'm fortunate that it happens to me during the day most of the time. But when it happens to me at nighttime, it's terrifying because my my eyes don't open when it happens to me when I'm doing when at nighttime. In the daytime, my eyes open. Uh, sometimes sometimes they don't, but at nighttime my eyes don't open, and so I'm trapped. And when it happens to me, I feel trapped in the vision not not the vision that terrified me uh that i when that god showed me where i saw some of the most amazing and terrifying things i've ever seen uh in my life and still the most amazing terrifying things but i get trapped in the idea that when i open my eyes those five shadow people that were standing around my bed uh during hurricane katrina will be standing around me again and so I get trapped in that because my eyes are closed and I see only the darkness. And the way I saw those shadow people was only in the darkness. It was pitch black. And all I could see was those five figures. So it becomes terrifying for me when it happens at nighttime because of that. Yeah, that's why. I, one time
2: I did like, probably like five or so in the morning, but it's not always like, the same time when you go like it's how it's been described is like whenever you whenever that happens you're not actually still in the physical reality but you're in a a close uh, a close another reality that's just very close to ours so it might look kind of the same or it might be like it's kind of like think of it as radio frequencies like dialing I think that might explain ghosts. Like they're
0: stuck between, that's
2: why they appear like holograms.
0: I've heard some theories of that is that they, that uh, ghosts are, uh, particularly of pets, they're, uh, they have what's called trained memory functions. And the spirit or whatever is trapped in a loop of trained memories where even though what they may have remembered no longer exists in that area. They still remember, and if have a force of repetition and patterns, they continue to live through that same cycle and memories every single day. And it and sometimes when the energy is high enough frequency in that particular area, they begin. They are, they're actually able to materialize, whether it be trans uh, transparent on the form of shadows, or or as a poltergeist or whatnot. They're able to materialize when the energy, when the energy it reaches a certain, a certain frequency. Yeah, and basically every world
2: religion, including like Native American traditions, but all the major world religions have some form of extra-dimensional entities. You know, in Christianity, it's angels and demons. In Islam, it's uh, jinn. I forget what they're called in Buddhism and Hinduism, but every they all have versions of what we could call interdimensional beings.
0: And in Buddhism and Hinduism, I think they're still called. They're, they're, uh, they're called, um, the same thing they're called in Japan. Uh, what's, what's the name? They're uh, called yokai, which, is just, which just means demon or evil yeah, spirit. I, so
2: there's a connotation. I feel like jinn are evil, of course, jinn.
0: Well, and actually, yeah. jinn are not necessarily evil, but they're neutral. Jinn, um, jinn become evil based upon the practices that of, the, of Islam. And so that's how we usually get the idea of the genie in a bottle, where the jinn is trapped in a bottle because of the practices of the people of Islam. And the, their practices Corrupt and make the jinn so much more wicked that they have to tether them and trap them within a vessel so that they so that their enormous power cannot be cannot escape and be used for harm.
2: So I think jinn are actually separate from angels and demons because I think Islam has those too. I mean it does. So I feel like jinn, I don't think Christianity really has a third category besides angels and demons, but you
0: know, it's just like denizens of other realms well i think christianity definitely acknowledges the existence of other of other lesser deities yeah they just don't you know
2: they do actually yeah and in the old testament Many they times. were actually the way that they described them was not like they're just a statue the way they descri- describe these other deities is like they're actually real and they just don't have the power because they're not actual real, they're not God. They're not even a God. They just call themselves a God.
0: Yeah, what it, well, the way the way a, the way I think of it is, is they're similar in nature to well, what what uh, two two demons, which is why they get often conflated in demonology, is that they are considered to be spirits, strong spirits, but still lesser than the spirit of God. And that's that's the way we consider it. And then, uh, and they are what we consider to be portals for sorcery. And depending on how you want to do things in the, in uh, in Christianity, uh, you can utilize sorcery or the practice of 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 any type of uh, dark magic or or light magic, as some people like to like to think that. But all magic leads to one of these lesser entities as the way it's depicted in christianity particularly in the old testament you don't see too much of it in the new testament but in the old testament it's riddled through there in the new testament the only time that you really see it is in in revelation and now you see it in acts there's a couple of sorcerers in acts like bar jesus that's one of
2: them that's where it's basically like sorcery is pharmakia it's the use of psychedelic substances to get into contact with entities from other dimensions and we did talk about this last time the only the only spirits that are going to come through that way are not going to have your best interest at heart because they have their own basically yeah you're using a cheat code you didn't do it because you didn't do it through meditation through prayer through experience you just took a drug and there's no way that just Doing that can and lead you to enlightenment, and I mean it can be an experience that you could use, but you you can't use that to get to where you want to be. And they might actually appear and fool you into thinking that
0: they're good spirits, but of course that's they're liars. And and that's not to be confused with to say that there that all of these lesser entities are evil spirits is that they all have their own motive their own their own reasoning uh for example the hindu have very many have a lot of spirits the hindu have some of the most complex uh mythology and theology that i've ever uh, that i've ever researched you know one of the one of the uh the most benevolent ones is also the, one of the most mischief ones and that is uh hanuman the great monkey god and the entire entire cities in india and and uh and other hindu uh majority countries are overrun with macaques and other and other species of monkey because of the grace of hanuman but hanuman also appears to be very mischievous if you make him mad and there are uh, there are stories that uh that say that the that the great monkey god, when he gets fierce, he will he will go and he will takes uh, take women in the night or take sacrifices in the night and kill them, and they called and so they have their own motives, their own their own uh, things behind them. And you know, Hinduism Hinduism is just a, it's really fun uh, to study, but it's a very very complex complex religion.
2: yeah i think it's too much i mean they have millions and millions of gods but they treat them as if they're separate of course they still have a
0: a form of yeah we talked the about main that god, the, last, it, the last time Bra- brahma vishnu and shiva are the main gods or the trifecta The
2: <laughs> but tertiary- brahman is he's basically he's the equivalent i would say he's not a perfect Equivalent,
1: but he's equivalent like to, to raw. Yeah, but the Christian God. Um, also the Tao would be somewhat
0: similar to what we're talking about when we say God. I wouldn't say that per se, because uh Brahma in Hinduism, at least from my at least from my study. He, his power stops at creation, and so in order for in order for all the other fundamental forces to happen that a that a supreme a supreme deity has to have, that's where Vishnu and Shiva come to play, and so each one of them have particular artifacts that they that they wield that kind of holds it together that's why we have the idea of the of the triangle kind of like the triforce or something you know or or pretty much every religion has three main gods that hold everything together except except for christianity but christianity still does have a model of three and the father the son and the holy spirit but they have three that kind of hold everything together and brahma he's the one that started it all but he couldn't, he couldn't he couldn't hold it together. So that's where Vishnu came. Vishnu preserves everything and holds it together. But when things get too cluttered, neither one of them had the power to fix that. And so that's where Shiva came into the play to destroy things that needed to be destroyed. And then they have this balance of the three of them all of the time. So Brahma is clearly the first, similarly to how. I would say Ra in Egyptian mythology. He's the first, you could say, uh, and but then, a, but then there's, then there's his sons. But but Ra Ra is very interesting on his own because he he's the only god. He's the only uh, chief god I know that retires. <laughs> he retires and just lets his kids take over unless his grandson take over Osiris becomes the new uh, not Osiris uh, Horus becomes the new sun god after after Ra decides to just retire uh, and continuing to journey and move and bring the sun around in this great sun boat. I'm gonna play this video
1: uh, make sure you share your screen so our guests can uh,
0: people can see everything. Don't forget to hit uh, optimize for video. Freaking, uh, what? So don't forget to hit optimize for video. I can't. I can't click it. Oh, or share sound then. What did did it not give you permission? I should have.
1: Okay, there, there you are over there. I see it.
4: This is one of the most interesting reads I've come across. It's rather complex and takes a while to digest, but it's 100% worth it. Yeah. It's an official declassified CIA document, and a terrific analysis of consciousness and beyond, known as the Gateway Process. While it's an older document and has been declassified for a while now, the fact that modern developments in science, quantum physics, psychedelics, and neurobiology confirm what's written within those pages is nothing short of outstanding. It explains consciousness in a profound and analytical way and merges knowledge from mystics, from Hindu, Buddhist, and Tibetan cultures to contemporary scientific knowledge of Planck distance, Einstein's theory of relativity, and the works of Niels Bohr. The cosmic spiral and torus is everything, and everything is one. It seems as though individual consciousness is pulled from the collective consciousness using the frequency vibrations of the being. This applies to humans, whales, fungus, and amoeba. Mystics of past and present, including all ancient religions, understood these concepts thousands of years ago. Still, it takes much to open the minds of the most pragmatic, self-conscious, and uptight people. 11. Consciousness and Energy Before our explanation can proceed any further, It is essential to define the mechanism by which the human mind exercises the function known as consciousness, and to describe the way in which that consciousness operates to deduce meaning from the stimuli which it receives. To do this, we will first consider the fundamental character of the material world in which we have our physical existence, in order to accurately perceive the raw stuff with which our consciousness must work. The first point which needs to be made is that the two terms, matter and energy, tend to be misleading if taken to indicate two distinctly different states of existence in the physical world that we know it. Indeed, if the term matter is taken to mean solid substance as opposed to energy, which is understood to mean a force of some sort, then the use of the former is entirely misleading. Science now knows that both the (laughs) electrons which spin in the energy field located around the nucleus of the atom and the nucleus itself are made up of nothing more than oscillating energy grids. Solid matter, in the strict construction of the term, simply does not exist. Rather, atomic structure is composed of oscillating energy grids surrounded by other oscillating energy grids which orbit at extraordinarily high speeds. In his book, Stalking the Wild Pendulum, Itzhak Bentov gives the following figures. The energy grid, which composes the nucleus of the atom, vibrates at approximately 1022 hertz, which means 10 followed by 22 zeros. At 70 degrees Fahrenheit, an atom oscillates at the rate of 1015 hertz. An entire molecule composed of a number of atoms bound together in a single energy field vibrates in the range of 109 hertz a live human cell vibrates at approximately 103 hertz. The point to be made is that the entire human being, brain, consciousness, and all is like the universe which surrounds him, nothing more or less than an extraordinarily complex system of energy fields. The so-called states of matter are actually variances in the state of energy, and human consciousness is a function of the interaction of energy into probably already got
0: taken down motion
4: (laughs) versus rest in a manner described in the following paragraph
0: i haven't got any notifications yet
4: holograms energy creates stores and retrieves meaning in the universe (laughs) by projecting or expanding at certain frequencies in a three-dimensional mode that creates a living pattern (laughs) called a hologram the concept of the hologram can be most easily understood by using an example cited by bentov in which he asks the reader to visualize a bowl full of water into which three pebbles are dropped. As the ripples created by the simultaneous entry of the three pebbles radiate outward towards the rim of the bowl, Bentov further asks the reader to visualize that the surface of the water is suddenly flash-frozen, so that the ripple pattern is preserved instantly. At rest. In the simple example given by Bentov, this requirement was fulfilled by holding the frozen interference pattern in front of the coherent light to project the three-dimensional holographic image, its meaning, into space. As Marilyn Ferguson, editor of the Brain Mind Bulletin, tells us, another feature of a hologram is its efficiency. Billions of bits of information can be stored in a tiny space. The pattern of the holographic photograph is stored everywhere on the plate. 14. The Consciousness Matrix The universe is composed of interacting energy fields, some at rest and some in motion. It is, in and of itself, one gigantic hologram of unbelievable complexity. According to the theories of Carl Pribram, a neuroscientist at Stanford University, and David Bohm, a physicist at the University of London, The human mind is also a hologram which attunes itself to the universal hologram by the medium of energy exchange, thereby deducing meaning and achieving the state which we call consciousness. With respect to states of expanded or altered consciousness, such as gateway uses, the process operates in the following way. As energy passes through various aspects of the universal hologram, and is perceived by the electrostatic fields which comprise the human mind, The holographic images being conveyed are projected upon those electrostatic fields of the mind and are perceived or understood to the extent that the electrostatic field is operating at a frequency and amplitude that can harmonize with, and therefore read, the energy carrier wave pattern passing through it. Changes in the frequency and amplitude of the electrostatic field which comprises the human mind determine the configuration and hence the character of the holographic energy matrix, which the mind projects to intercept meaning directly from the holographic transmissions of the universe. Then, to make sense of what the holographic image is saying to it, the mind proceeds to compare the image just received with itself. Specifically, it does this by comparing the image received with that part of its own hologram, which constitutes memory. By registering differences in geometric form and in energy frequency, the consciousness perceives. As psychologist Keith Floyd puts it, contrary to what everyone knows is so, it may not be the brain that produces consciousness, but rather consciousness that creates the appearance of the brain. Fifteen. Brain in phase. The consciousness process is most easily envisaged if we picture the holographic input with a three-dimensional grid system superimposed over it, such that all of the energy patterns contained within can be described in terms of three-dimensional geometry using mathematics to reduce the data to the two-dimensional form. Bentov states that scientists suspect that the human mind operates on a simple binary go-no-go system, as do all digital computers. Therefore, once it superimposes a three-dimensional matrix over holographic information it wishes to interpret, and reduces that information mathematically to two-dimensional form, it can completely process it using its fundamental binary system. Just as any computer made by the hand of man can process volumes of data, and make various comparisons between the data and information stored in its digital memory, our minds operate in the same way, perceiving by comparison only. Bentov states the proposition this way: Our whole reality is constructed by constantly making such comparisons. Whenever we perceive something, we always perceive differences only. In states of expanded consciousness, the right hemisphere of the human brain in its holistic, non-linear and non-verbal mode of functioning acts as the primary matrix or receptor for this holographic <coughs> input, while by operating in phase or coherence with the right brain the left hemisphere provides the secondary matrix through its binary, computer-like method of functioning to screen further the data by comparison and reduce it to a discrete, two-dimensional form. 16. Evaluation. Play the whole thing.
0: You practically did.
1: (laughs) 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 This is a CIA document. And I think it was 2003
0: it was released. It went completely unnoticed. As do most things that happens when the government releases stuff. Uh, they find uh, the the, the uh, media doesn't find I mean, it I, I think interesting. that these people,
2: obviously, and these intelligence agencies are fully aware of like what reality actually is.
0: I don't know if I subscribe to the idea of it being a simulation. However... I do you're, you're taking
2: it the wrong way I said metaphorically no I'm I saying didn't say it's literally a
0: simulation but it's computed by consciousness I'm saying that I do agree with the idea that everything in our life <laughs> everything in our life is in, in a way uh computerized because we are essentially living computers we we shoot off electrical frequencies of our synapses uh, how many millions or choice of times uh, in a second that is just constantly shooting off uh electronic waves of energy throughout our bodies and we can become so electrically charged <laughs> that we can statically charge uh, items we can uh, power devices, very very low frequency, uh, devices with our touch. If we become a, if we become charged enough with enough uh negative or positive energy, so I do agree with that sense that we are in a way, comu- uh computerized, simply because of the way that we uh the way that our energy reacts mm. and interacts with the world around us. That's, I'm not saying that we're,
2: when I say simulation, I don't mean computer simulation. I just, I'm saying that because it's the closest analog that can make sense of what I'm trying to say, because we didn't have computers until relatively recently. And so people really had no kind of no way to, nothing to compare it
1: to. They would talk about, you know, a brain in a vat. I think that was Descartes.
2: Like, uh, yeah, he he was the one who talked about being a brain and a vat and perhaps a demon is fooling me into thinking, all this is real. But they didn't have computers, so he didn't have any other way to describe what he was talking about. But actually, we are not brains and vats. We are, the brain is just something produced by consciousness. Everything, this is what makes the most sense to me. Consciousness has to be fundamental. And if that's the case, that descri- that would uh, perp- perfectly explain all the loose ends in science that they can't tie together, like quantum mechanics and relativity. Um, and that would explain everything paranormal, if you want to call it that. It wouldn't really be supernatural. It would just be part of science. Then if consciousness was fundamental, then anything, almost anything could
0: be possible. See, I've always, found, I've always considered considered it as uh as conceptual as um because the, the way the way i figure the reason why we are unable to uh register certain scientific phenomenon is because conceptually uh we can't grasp it there's no concept for it in our limited consciousness and our limited scope of how we think so we are unable to to understand that particular concept we can't give it name. We can't give it form or vision. So it goes on unknown to us. And then uh, we begin to you know, study it. And the more we study it, the more questions we, we have about those particular things, because it's a concept that we are incapable of grasping for whatever reason.
2: You know, back in the early 1900s, they already had, pretty much knew this. Einstein, Niels Bohr, um, Schrodinger. Um, You know, all the early 20th century physicists knew from the double slit experiment and quantum mechanics that consciousness had something central to do with reality, but they just didn't know what. And even though several quantum experiments have shown us repeatedly that consciousness
1: has something to do with this. the the establishment, the scientific establishment, still is a,
2: holding a reductionist, materialist view that consciousness
1: is just a side effect of the blind workings of matter, and that's completely absurd. They know that it's absurd, but they still say it. I mean, how how could it possibly be? that
2: blind unconscious matter can come together and bam, the lights come
1: on all of a sudden, you know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't feel like you also not feel like you are your body, but you feel like you're controlling your body.
0: Mm, I don't think I've ever actually given it much thought in that regard.
2: I feel like I'm something
0: up here. That's like piloting this thing i've always felt i guess i guess uh i guess because of of the way i am spiritually i've always considered my body to be a vessel but not for my brain um i consider the brain to be a part of where my consciousness rests but my spirit is elsewhere and i feel like my spirit is puppeteering my movements kind of holding holding off it's you know how the old puppet master hold off his things and it's moving things uh, away, away from me. But I've I've never actually given thought to the the motor the motor functions or the the idea of of me controlling myself from within. I've never actually given it thought in that in that form. That's exactly
2: what I feel like. I feel like I am controlling myself from within. Like, and I, when I say it, i feel like i'm right here i'm not talking about my brain i just feel like the point of consciousness it, it's right here i, I do believe of that corresponds the point to of the, consciousness.
0: the third eye location i do feel like one. that because when i meditate i focus <clears throat> i focus here okay i focus here but when I, in my meditation i focus here all, all of my thoughts are focused here but where my point of focus is here. When I'm meditating, my hands are usually uh, usually form into an open circle and are rested. And even though all my focus is here, where my focus, my my point of consciousness is, is in my hands. I'm holding on to it, and this becomes its own universe of thoughts. And that's how I'm able to connect with everything else. everything it's not that I am being moved everywhere. it's that everything has been forced into this circle. I don't know if I don't know if that's the best way for me this, to explain for me to explain how it happens for me, but for me, everything becomes centralized and comes to me as opposed to me going to them,
2: yeah, I understand the idea of being able to shift. Your consciousness, like where the center of your your awareness, you can shift it around. Yeah, it's it's, it's, you you can shift it around to different parts of your body too. It's like a spotlight, almost like your awareness. Think of all the things that you're not aware of right now, like so much. Even
0: I guess what I'm saying is, it's not so much that I'm shifting my consciousness; it's that my consciousness is shifting the world around me. To be at a certain point that it can meet, so that I, I guess because maybe 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 my consciousness is just as lazy as my physical body, and I and it doesn't want to go to these other places, so it pulls them to to me. It pulls them to it. So rather than going to the edge of the universe, it pulls the edge of the universe to a space where it, where it can go, and it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to leave and move off into such a far roaming area?
1: Well, I mean, technically in consciousness, you would control that through your intent, which is,
2: you can think of as a right brain thing. The right brain is the, is the hemisphere which perceives the whole picture. And most like children are have a lot easier time with this kind of stuff because they're not like molded into this left-brain cog in the machine, like most adults are. That just, they just don't believe any of this is possible. Kids, you know, they just believe things because the world is still magical to them. Um, and I don't remember if I ever experienced anything like weird like that when I was a kid. I mean, I probably did, and just don't remember. You know but you have to unlearn so much as an adult to experience anything like this
0: i think we i think we all have experienced it as children but it was it, it was easier for the for for them to blend together with reality imagination is such a powerful thing for children and it melds your consciousness and your reality that you're living in with your imagination So I think that the the concept of imagining things for children is sort of that portal of expression, that portal to outside information, because children become so much more perceptive when they're in their imaginary worlds. And then when they are forced to come back to reality, however, that's when they, they tend to almost become, you know, innocent again. Well, uh, innocent in the sense of being new or fresh and don't know much but for for example i i never would have uh would have thought that of may of uh, pounding things and and making potions and stuff like that as an adult but as a child i did it all the time uh we were roaming through the woods picking picking things and and grabbing pots of things and making paste out of different out of different uh floral uh, species and we would go and we would find different bottles that had alcohol or stuff in them that we were finding in the woods and we would just go put them in a hole in the in the road and grind them together and make crap out of them we never drank any of it but we make we would make crap out of stuff and nobody ever taught us to how to do any of that we never seen anybody do any of that it was just something that we saw in our imagination and we did it and come to find out that that's how medicines and stuff were formed that's how uh several foods were formed was like taking stuff and grinding them together and mixing things and so you start to see those types of things and you do it as a kid and it doesn't feel like you're and an out-of-body experience, you're just taking what you see and then you're applying it to the world that you already exist in. You can't tell me that you never made any potions as a child.
2: <laughs> I remember doing it as a kid. I remember doing it one time when I was on Xanax, just crushing up a bunch of random pills and I was just fading in and out of consciousness. Like, I think Joseph was at my house. I was just sitting there crushing different pills and just mixing them together. I'm talking about over-the-counter stuff. Like, like, okay, Jojo. (laughs) (laughs) I was just, I was mixing up, like, over-the-counter pills, like, Tylenol, Tums, ibuprofen, just crushing them up and mixing them. And I kept fading in and out. I was just like, I kept Okay. Going like, what did I just say? I think
0: you're I just fading in and out of death.
2: <laughs> I kept asking Joseph, like, what did I just say? Because I would forget what I said. As soon as I said it, I would forget what I just said.
0: And then, you know, I, you know, I, have, I, <clears throat> have, I told I have him sp- I was making math, and I was just crushing
2: up Tylenol and stuff.
0: I have strange experiences <laughs> with forgetting what I say. It's almost like it echoes loudly and resoundingly. But still, to this day, I cannot recall what that what it was. It's almost like you hear yourself speaking to, to you in a loud voice that echoes and is resound, but then it fades in an instant, and you never hear it again, and you can't recall what it was. I remember that happened to me a lot when I was a kid I would you know I'd be shouting in the in the house, you know, nobody'd be there but me. I'd be shouting or doing something or, you know, enacting stuff in my imagination or whatnot. And then, then all of a sudden I hear this loud echoing sound that shocks even me. I know it came from me, but I don't know what it said. It's, you know, it's, it's almost like when you hear those voiceovers and an uh, old, an uh, old Sega games that sort are of really bad voiceovers where it's your, you clearly hear that they're saying something but it's so muffled that you have no idea what they what they said and that's and it just kind of sticks with you like what what did they what, what happened what what did they say and that happens to me or happened to me a lot when I was young where I would I would say something I would hear it it would echo and res- and bounce off the inside of my head and I would be like what did I say what is that and I can never I can never remember what it was even though it just happened like a millisecond ago. Like stuff you would actually say with your physical mouth? Yes. And I can never recall what it was. I would be like, what did I like say? Like real words? Yeah. And, but nobody would ever be around me to tell me what it was that I said. So I'd be like, what happened? It's, it's, it's a weird thing to remember. I, I
2: don't have, honestly, I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: Like, I have memory of me sitting there uh, saying something. And I'm sitting there trying to figure out what I've what I've said. I still have memory of me trying to figure out what I've said. I, that I and I still can't remember that. I can remember things that I've done when I was blackout drunk, and I but I can't remember what it is that I said. Still to this day, I can still recall that I can't remember what I said. It's it's a strange phenomenon. When when I don't know what that that's kind of weird. When consciousness can't grasp something.
1: This would mean.
2: So I've also read some stuff that people are like that people that are really into this, you know, if you if you're not careful, you can get into some new, new agey territory talking about this kind of stuff, obviously. But I'm not, you know, this is not where I'm trying to take this. New Age just takes stuff from every religion and throws it all together and then pretends to be in light. So that would mean that um, consciousness is fundamental. Okay, that's my initial assumption. Dreams are actually you, your consciousness leaving and going somewhere else and experiencing. Dreams are almost like reality simulation. Like you're simulating the real world, well, not always the real world, but you're experiencing. It's almost like a. It's a place for you to, for your consciousness to run tests in different situations to see how you react.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I. I would agree and disagree at the same time. I agree, that dreams are like
1: being transported to someplace else. Because,
0: and, and I and I agree that uh, dreams can have some metaphysical properties, as some dreams can be so real that they affect you in the physical world. Uh, where Where I disagree, however, is the idea of it testing things. I think that it can test things, but Uh, For example, my dreams, for the most part,
1: test nothing.
0: (laughs) Um, uh, I I don't really dream, for one. But most of the dreams that I do have happen when I'm awake, uh, daydreams. Uh, but But most of the time when I'm dreaming something, I'm looking for something. I'm looking for an answer, and my dreams are finding those solutions and bringing them back, so that way when I start writing, they start to come back to me in the form of an image. So I guess they're. Image so you just searching. went and said,
2: basically exactly the same exact thing I was saying. I guess you can call like, it. I don't case. mean.
1: I don't mean like a test, like to see. how you do i mean maybe that could be part of it
2: but it's just putting your consciousness into scenarios that either test you in such a way where you don't have to do it in physical reality or put it somewhere that it needs to be to gain some sort of
0: information on yeah i think my i think i do that a lot because uh the way my brain works because of because of the way i write you know I have so many characters, you know, over 500 characters at this point that I have created and each of them have their own personalities. And so my consciousness, my brain has to interact with each of them differently and have, and they all have to interact within my head and speak to one another and speak to myself in order to bring the picture together. So that way, when I start writing that story, I get to see all of that come to life on the page. So My brain, this is probably the reason why I can never get any sleep, is constantly talking to other consciousnesses within my own consciousness. And when I go to sleep, if I do dream, it's usually running a simulation in the world which I have created so that I can put that into, into story format when I awake. And that's, con- that's, that's what constantly goes on in my, in my head. Even when I'm doing other things, because I've created this world this in my head, even when I'm doing other things, that simulation never turns off. It's constantly feeding on a loop, searching for more information to make a better story. And it never stops. It, it's, it's always going, even right now, it's going while we're speaking having this conversation which is i guess the reason why i stutter sometimes or i pause sometimes is because that conversation with these other consciousnesses within my own consciousness are talking communicating and uh and relaying the information back to me and then i have to weed out their conversation (laughs) and focus on the conversation that i'm trying to have right now i guess it's the curse of of creating so many characters and creating such a fanciful world in your own in your own consciousness, where you begin to have issues where you can't uh, focus on certain things because there's another conversation, there's another world that is that is existing within your brain constantly. And you are the overseer, so to speak. Of this world you have no impact of this world at all other than the fact that you are the one that created it but you just sit there and you watch it and you see what happened and then you bring it back to the world that you live in and put it down and put it together in the, in the tale. and that's sort
1: of what happens in my head every day
0: <clears throat> I don't know if you experience that same thing as a writer, but maybe because you and I write no, mostly what I write is nonfiction. No. You and I write different things. You know, I I write I, I write fiction, I write nonfiction, I write science fiction. I, I write so much, but the, the but for the longest, the series that I've been writing for the longest, you know, I've been writing this since ninth grade. So you can imagine how much time has gone into developing and building this world that these people exist in and they all have their their own distinct personalities yet all of their personalities all belong to me but each one of them is unique in their own sense and so sometimes when i when i need inspiration to write i put my consciousness to the side and pull one of their consciousness to the forefront and let them uh do an act do reenactments of what happened in the visual so that so that my consciousness can watch it and then put it in a story in a tale while that consciousness is taking over
1: i'm gonna go get some water i think you're done
0: hope you guys are enjoying this conversation that we're having uh, it's not every day that you get to talk about consciousness in this in this degree. Um, you know, this is the fun about a, a ca- our casual Saturdays and our conspiracy Saturdays, which now we're just going to call it the same thing because casual Saturday means we can talk about whatever we want. And you know, when you th- when you talk about consciousness, you you really go down a slippery slope because there are so many different ideas of consciousness. You know. Sigmund Freud's idea of consciousness which is all about sex um but also has its own other underlying elements which are used in, in uh in Schrodinger's uh ideas and also used in Maslow's ideas where consciousness is ever evolving and
1: I like to think what I like to think of consciousness is is think of uh
0: well, think of the episode of Spongebob. This was many, many years ago. Oh, what, was it Spongebob or something else? I can't remember. It was, I think it's uh, Spongebob. Let's go with Spongebob because that's when Spongebob is, I can't remember the episode, but he's got smaller Spongebobs in his head that have offices and they're constantly working and doing things. And I I like to think of consciousness as there's a little you that's sitting right up in there in the center Part of your brain connecting the two quadrants of your brain all together and it's sitting in there and it's piecing things together it's filing things, it's keeping things where they belong, keeping things separate and it's constantly at work and some things that it can't do it has its own consciousness, subconscious that is inside its brain picking and pulling and making things happen and inside its brain is what we call the id or the preconscious and it's doing its own thing as well constantly moving and uh, creating instinct and so all of these functions are happening at the same time inside the brain inside the head and that's sort of how i think of consciousness it's all of that's happening in there. I think it's a nice analogy. I don't know if Rhett would agree, but we'll find out when he gets back from grabbing him something to drink. But
1: while we while we wait, uh, let me see. I think do uh, do, let's see
3: here. Oh, well, look at that. I always forget to change things.
0: (laughs) Yeah, welcome back. Hey, you know, I was just talking to our audience here, and I don't know, maybe if you agree with me or not on this, but I, I sort of think of consciousness as, you know, that episode of SpongeBob, that happened uh some years ago when i don't remember what i don't remember what the episode was about but spongebob had those smaller spongebob's in his head that were they all had their own offices and desks and they're all filing paperwork and stuff and and uh they're running around inside his head making stuff happen i sort of think of consciousness uh as that happening inside your own brain and the central part of your brain connecting the two, there's this little guy in there that's doing everything. But inside of him, there's another little guy, our subconscious. And he's, he's making sure that the functions that consciousness can't fo- focus on are doing their things. And inside that little guy is the third level of consciousness, the preconscious, And it's in there doing the things that the subconscious can't do, making sure that its focuses are going on. And then you know, I, that's, that's sort of how I see things happening up in here. It's like there's people walking around and they're doing things all the time.
2: I would say that we are inhabited by several different. Most of us are, well, I would say all of us are, are a collection of a loose
1: collection of sub personalities that compete. And the idea is to bring them all together.
2: into accordance so you're saying that we're sometimes we're
1: inhabited by many phantoms like you know if you experience a traumatic event in the past that will be like a phantom locked
2: within you that you've got to release
0: (laughs) so what you're saying is is that each of us is a dictator <laughs> or put it this way each of us is a dictator in our, in our own minds because if we do not take by the reins the multiple personalities <laughs> and consciousnesses influences or phantoms that exist within our own space we can be taken over by an aspect of ourselves that reflects something that is not who we truly are so we <laughs> are constantly at a battle for of supremacy of who is in control of this physical vessel. Yeah. Uh, and, it's, and in that case, we're dictators. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that. It's totalitarian in there all the way. <clears throat> it's only the strongest <throat> one gets to survive and hold everybody together. Yeah, I guess so.
2: Anyway, which, uh, we need to go which, and which I, su-
0: which I would suppose, hmm. um, would explain why <laughs> it's so easy for for human beings to submit to totalitarianism, to to being controlled by one particular person that they believe has the best interest and heart for them, the idea of socialism, communism, or regi- or these regimes that are supposed to come in and save the rest of us, is all because in our own heads, that's what's happening. I think that that's a, a
1: form of collective hypnosis. <clears throat>
0: yeah, that's also a plausible theory. It <clears throat>
2: seems about over. to kick me over here again. It keeps saying uh- my connection's unstable.
0: Well, we've only we've only got about eight minutes left, anyway. So, Going to close this neatly at mm. nine. Neatly at nine o'clock. So, and this has been an interesting topic. You know, you don't you don't get to too often dive into the idea of consciousness in this sort of way because most people aren't smart enough to follow that conversation, and and obviously that excludes our audience, you guys are brilliant, you guys are awesome. But most people, they, they, they don't have uh, the intellectual, the intellectual, uh, I, don't know, I can't even say the word, intellectual capacity to go back and forth on an idea of consciousness. And most people who get high, like to think that they have that intellectual capacity to talk about consciousness when they're actually not talking about anything. Yeah, that's the case most of the time.
2: <clears throat> you know, you know, the people will be thinking so like when they smoke weed, especially like that, whatever they're thinking at the moment is so incredibly profound. And then when they think about it again, they're just like, Wow, that was stupid. And I would have thoughts sometimes, but like I didn't really like smoking weed, but I did smoke weed sometimes. And I would have just bizarre crazy out there thoughts but a lot of time sometimes it was just weird stuff but sometimes it was actually like actually me thinking on another level that I wouldn't normally be
0: able to think on but I forget all of it anyway so uh, so here here's a question for you then when you when you smoked all right who were who were you were you Stephen Hyde Michael Kelso or Eric Foreman I don't know who those people are. That '70s Show.
2: I I never really watched it. I don't. How know.
0: dare you!
2: I mean, I've but, seen it before, but I don't. I don't remember anything really about it. I mean, okay. I remember some
0: things about it, but I don't remember personalities. So, so, and the, when they're in the basement and they're all smoking <laughs> and stuff and the the cameras going around and they're doing their little thing. So Steven, he's the guy with the curly hair. He's always the serious. The, he's the cool one. And the Kelso, he's the he's Ashton Kutcher. He's the idiot uh eric is the nerd who's very awkward but so i me- I remember the episodes when so when uh they're, they're in there and then st- and steven he's like he's like there's this car man and it runs on water man <laughs> <laughs> and, and it goes around and kelso's just laughing like a retard mm-hmm. and, it, and then it goes back to eric and eric seems like he didn't really spoke that much because he's still talking about his relationship with Donna the whole time and he's talking about his mom and dad the whole time and the camera just, and the camera just keeps going around. But yeah, I remember that, you know, I've smoked before, but I honestly, I think I smoke wrong. Cause I never feel any yeah, different. You did. That happens a lot of time with first time smokers. that they, they don't know, you know, when yeah. I smoke, when I smoke my cigar, I feel very relaxed but you don't uh-huh. smoke weed the same way you got to inhale it you can't just put it in your mouth yeah you well, i inhale it and hold it in i inhale it i mean when i when i smoke my cigar you know i don't really inhale very much you know, obviously i just hold it and hold it in my hold it in my mouth for about you know 10 10 30, 10 or so seconds and then i slowly slowly release it let it absorb through my cheeks to when i was smoking weed or whatnot uh you know, I feel. Do I feel a little relaxed? Okay. I, sometimes I feel a little relaxed, but as far as my, as far as the way that I think, nothing yeah, I mean.
2: yeah. You, it, it was either crap, crap weed, or you because it absolutely alters the way you think, hundred
0: percent. Maybe maybe I just don't. Maybe I don't do it right. Maybe I'm just not as. Maybe I'm I not. Didn't get, I didn't get high the first time I smoked. Maybe I'm not a smoke. I'm, oh, I'm not a smoker for one. But so maybe I just don't do it right. And so I can't experience the same thing. Even though I've done it multiple times, I still never really feel anything. The, the only time I've actually ever, ever felt anything was this one time uh, I was living at the Days Inn Hotel. That's where I stayed at for like two, three months. Um, and uh, one of the guys that was also living there downstairs, he, he gave me uh, a metal pipe. That's what uh, that I smoked That I smoked the weed out of, but he had no. his his wheat was grounded up into a powder almost, and they, and Keith, they, that's Keith, and they put like it the in, stuff at the bottom of the
2: bag, unless no, he ground it up with a grinder. No, it's like
0: it's like, it, like it was grounded up to almost fine pot, almost like a fine powder, but it was almost like you could see individual granules, almost like if you took a spoonful of mustard seeds and put it in your hand, and it sounds like hash. Well, I don't know what it was, but it, but that was, you know, I put it into the pipe and I smoked it uh, and I would put techno music on my own in my head and my ears. And I turned the yeah, lights off
2: around about that, by the way, it's not hashed. Hash is something different.
0: I and I said that. that was the only real time that I kind of went into a real trance type of thing was when I smoked it that one time with that, because. Uh, the pipe. It filters out the smoke very well, I have to say. And, but the only problem with this, is that I have to constantly have a have a, a a lighter because it doesn't last long. It you know, I uh, it it goes out very quickly. So I have to constantly do it. Maybe I wasn't. Maybe it's maybe I was inhaling fuel from the, from the lighter at that point. But I have to constantly keep. No, the light. I mean
2: that's normal. It's normal.
0: And you have to keep reeling it. And I have the music going on in my head and then I would be like, you know, OK, now I'm starting to feel really, really good. That was really the only time. But and the only thing I was thinking in my head was because the techno music was going on. I had the lights off. And in my head, I'm thinking of, you know, those movies where they're in the club and everybody's shooting up heroin in their arms and it's blue lights flying floating around you know uh, flashing like the strobe light stuff and i'm just thinking things like that and then that gets me further and further along and then as soon as the music stops I snap out of it (laughs) yeah
2: dude i really don't like i didn't like weed because it it triggered my anxiety all the time like uh, i would have panic attacks from it it just it was an uncomfortable feeling to me and it for such a mild drug it's it changes your your the way you feel and think so much at least i think it does i mean i would say a lot of people say that it's mildly psychedelic when you actually smoke and feel it
0: i don't know maybe maybe i just did it wrong except for that one time with the pipe which i still have to pipe but you know i don't i don't smoke uh, like that i don't i don't go out and buy weed or anything like that um so, I still, uh, and maybe I don't, maybe I don't do it right, and just that one time actually kind of made me feel like I was in a different trance. But even when I drink alcohol, the thing that I hate is being in a state of non-existence. I hate to be in an area uh, where I am unaware of what I am doing. And I hate not being in control of myself, which is the reason why I do not like any influences upon myself. So I hate, the,
2: I hate that feeling too, losing control. That's what triggers an anxiety
0: response for me. I didn't like drugs that, that made me feel like I wasn't in control. And so when I drink, I know what my limits are. I know how many I can drink before it's too much. And even if I drink too much, I, I am still fully aware and fully in control of everything I've trained myself to be fully in control all the time. I hate to lose control
1: <laughs> i I understand i I'm the same i i well, when
2: I drank, I didn't really drink enough too. There's only been one time where I couldn't walk, but yeah, any drug that made me feel like I was losing control, which weed was one of those, it, it scared me. Like, it freaked me out because I felt like, wow, I'm going somewhere else. Like, uh, I'm not. I, I the think... first time I ever got high on anything, it was spice, dude. And that was a terrible experience. I hit it so many times. The dude didn't tell me that I wasn't supposed to. And I had a super, like, before that point, I didn't really know. But after that, then I knew Then I knew about things and stuff that experience changed me forever. I just I, I like I got smacked so hard in the face with like the transcendent reality that I never recovered from it. Because as soon as I stood, we were in a, a gazebo. I wasn't at working at Piccadilly at the time at Edgewater Mall. We went on break. Uh, to a neighborhood nearby dude as soon as I stood up to walk back in from break, everything just went like and like inverted on itself and all of a sudden my heart's going like 200 beats per minute I don't know where I am I can barely see my surroundings and then I see a reflection of myself flashing off the, the background of like my vision, like I see a reflection of myself, just continually flashing back at me. I'm like, "What?" and I had this thought in my head, like, oh my God, if it's possible to feel like this, then God's definitely real. <laughs> I don't know why. And then the whole time I thought I was going to die, but obviously I didn't. And it, it lasted like seven hours. And I was just so shaken to the core because that was the first time I, I truly ever experienced
0: an altered state of consciousness. Yeah, and- you know, I, I I have honestly never experienced this, uh, that type of that type of feeling before. The closest I've ever come to uh, was the time I almost got married because I was drunk, and I knew I was I, I knew that I was asking to uh, to be married, but I was just doing it to see what the response would be. And then I got drunk and uh fell asleep and i uh i can't remember anything past when i threw up because you know i thought you know i was like hey i'm gonna eat this pizza before i start drinking because it's supposed to help you know with all of that with all that stuff you know not throw up and not get not get too drunk but we were drinking kentucky bourbon uh kentucky straight uh, bourbon straight and uh so they were just sitting there drinking it was nasty horrible stuff i i hated that which is probably the reason why i threw up because i didn't like the taste um and and so i throw up and then i don't remember anything after that and i remember waking up and i still smell vomit everywhere and i got vomit (sighs) all over me and so i'm cleaning up everything and and so my ex just lets me walk around doesn't tell me that I have dry chunks of vomit in my nose because apparently I vomited through my nose or whatnot yeah that's happened before <laughs> and so I'm smelling vomit all, all day long until I finally get a clinics and I you know I had to blow my nose I'm like there's vomit in my nose why wouldn't you tell me that there's vomit in my nose and so I you know that was probably the only time that I've actually been that far away my mind, except for this one other time at my old apartment where I drank three bottles of wine and had a uh, and had a couple shots of of a uh, crown apple, I think it was. And I got sick. I didn't throw up, I don't think. And
1: um, I remember, you know, dancing
0: all night to to music. And uh, then I remember having a guest come over, and we were sitting down talking. And then I was asleep, and I woke up underneath the covers and whatnot. I, I don't know how I got underneath the covers. Can't remember how I got underneath the covers. Can't remember how I got. Can't remember how I got uh, changed into my into the, my uh, my night clothes. I don't remember any of that. And so I don't like having voids in my memory. And so
1: I never let myself get to that level. All right. And with that, we're
0: at 906. Yeah, we've gone over. So I think this has been a fairly decent conversation. I think everybody can say this is a nice conversation. If you liked this Mm -hmm. conversation, if you like these types of conversations that we have, uh, let us know. By liking and sharing our our content, wherever you can share it, uh download it and share it with your friends who all listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Berker Audio, uh Radio, Live, uh everywhere that you can find podcasts. We are pretty much there. Uh Destroy the of America with Payson Williams, Destroy of America PW. Find us on Facebook at Destroy of America PW on Twitter at the Story of America PW. Find us on True Social on everywhere else that you can find us. And we'll be there. Anywho, tomorrow we are doing the Federalist Papers, um, 16 through 25. So join us tomorrow for a great discussion on Federalist Papers. It's gonna be a really fun episode. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. Uh, we're continuing on this journey to continue to learn about what our founders expected from us uh, and expected from our union and how it's supposed to survive. And I think this is going to be very relevant in the coming uh, two years that we have left to save our country. So continue to follow us uh, for that information, and we will see you next time. Uh, Remember, Follow us everywhere you can find us. Like and share our content. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. The Pony Express Your Sister's Ass. Wherever you can find us, we will be there. And we are out.